Hey, Nate, do you know how I make sure that I see all the art shows I need to see? It's Seesaw. It's a free app in the Apple Store. You can log in and click off all the gallery shows that you want to see in New York or Los Angeles or London. It covers all the major art cities. This is true. You go right in. It'll, it'll give you a whole list of all the galleries, like they're all the galleries you would want to see anyway, tell you what the show is, when the show is closing, and you can then click on it, make yourself a custom map so you can walk around and, uh, and not miss any shows. Seesaw, it's free. It's in the App Store. Nathan, what's up? We are back, man. Just, you know, just living the life, trying to stay alive in America. I'm moving these flowers so I can actually see your gorgeous mug. There okay, but I mean, there are really nice flowers I got. I, I love the flowers. You put took a picture and put it on your Instagram. Uh- yeah, so, you know, the bounty of the Union Square Farmer's Market. You're back in New York. You're no longer in Los Angeles. No longer in Los Angeles. Yeah, so, so happy to be back here. I know. Um, Sorry, Angelina listeners, but it seems like you guys don't have your shit together yet. It got better my last, like, the end of my trip ended better than it started. But, you know, let's let's see how it's doing in Jul- end of July, early August or so. Mm-hmm. See if they get it back going. Yeah. Um, you know, LA's just always, it's also a more insular place. It's more inward looking. And so, you know. Um, you know, even the best of times, all people want to do there is hang out in their house, smoke weed, and fucking watch movies. So, exactly. Yeah, you know. and that was that was true in 2019 and the before times. People just wanted to get high. Yeah, and, and now they're just using it as an excuse, shit. like, oh, pandemic, yeah. pandemic. Hey, pandemic's <laughs> over. <laughs> yeah, I I miss Los Angeles uh, having not been there in a year and a half. But then again, what am I missing? I don't know. Yeah, you know, Mexican food, man. No Mexican yeah. food in New York. No, there there certainly is not. Um. Anyway, Art World, what'd you do this weekend? Anything good? You you stayed here for a little bit, or you, you didn't go upstate until I, later in the weekend? Is I was here right? Friday night. I, I had a friend's birthday party, and then ended up going to a uh, sort of pretty vigorous sort of dance party situation. Ooh, Probably the now first you're time that my I, language. Uh, the first time that I, I, I went to something like this, certainly the first time indoors. It was um, uh, at the MNZ store on uh, Norfolk Street in the Lower East Side, and, and there was a big birthday party where a stylist who works for for that brand and uh there were some art world adjacent djs playing what some- is it? i mean back up what what, what for, for the for the older folks like me in the world what is this brand what is this store anzbz what it's it's mnz is the is the uh uh commonly used uh that sounds like a train line that goes somewhere in queens i wouldn't go uh <laughs> i think you <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. No, no, it's a very, very hip fashion line. The boutique was cleared out, and uh, it just there was a space made for a dance floor. There were kids just, just really just going nuts, going hard. It was really fun. I left at like two in the morning, and it was just still so lit. It was crazy, amazing. Um, when you say there were uh, art world adjacent DJs, who was on the ones and twos? I I couldn't r- really tell. Raúl de Nieves, the great artist, was very much there. In the booth, I'm not sure if he was actually DJing. Again, this was like a sort of cacophonous, uh, uh, very organic dance party situation. It was not like a very clear cut, uh, you know, like like scene necessarily. It was it was a uh, an undulating wave of people dancing. And it was just a real real blast. I wasn't entirely sure what was going on. What are you a writer? You're speaking in poetry over there. Oh God. Um, Fuck uh, you. Who who'd you roll with? Was it with people I know? With art world people? I was with uh, uh, a friend of the pod, Alex Schulen, actually, uh, and and past uh, guest and yeah, friend of the yeah, pod. exactly. And and he was one who who hipped me to the party initially, but then once there, uh, ran into a few other um, downtown uh, um, 
personalities, I guess I would say. Maybe I shouldn't name them all here. For no for one fear. likes to be outed. No, one yeah, likes to be exactly. Outed, so but it speak. was it was a very good night. And then yes, Saturday, uh, first thing in the morning, went out uh, upstate. Uh, Saturday night, ate at probably my my current favorite restaurant in Kingston called Lunch Nightly. It is the the food is spectacular. The vibes are are truly amazing, and um, I probably am. You know, uh, <laughs> risking blowing up its spot by, by, by yeah, telling yeah, it yeah, on the you, pond, I mean, but, but yeah, at the same time, it's just so fabulous. Kingston has one of the better wine stores in America, as far I, as I'm yeah. concerned. In fact, uh, I was just talking to them last week. They've been they uh, they're, they're well known for their natural wine selections, of which they have an ample and varied uh, and constantly changing. But mm-hmm. he, he they just source some great old Italian 1960s and 70s bottles that wow. I bought about a small selection of, uh, including a couple of my birth year wines from 1978 and some, some amazing 1960s. Four Barolos. They're supposedly drinking really well right now. So uh, great, yeah. So they've been, he's always been my wine guy since I spent some time up there during the pandemic. But yeah, uh, I, I believe it's called the Kingston Wine Shop. That's, Maybe that, not. That is is what it's what it called. Is. Yeah, yeah, great guys, great aesthetic. Um, they're on it. You know, I, I I've gotten to really love Kingston. I think that that as a sort of uh, you know vac- weekend city, it's pretty ideal. It's got everything you need. There's you know nice bars, nice hotels, nice restaurants. It's very walkable in the Stockade District. Uh, it's it's quite lovely. No, it's great. Um, uh, they also, there's a fantastic um, James Beard nominated uh, uh, Jamaican jerk chicken place. Top taste. Uh, Shout out top taste. Top taste. They are just banging. I remember it was the first. It was the first meal kind of towards the end of the first wave of the pandemic that I hadn't cooked in something like sixty days, and uh-huh. it was delicious then, and it's delicious now. I highly recommend you guys do some takeout the next time you're kind of running it, late into town. Wa- it's some of the best jerk chicken I've ever had. I I went with friend of the pod Zach Kitnick. Uh, yeah, in, in sort of peak. Did, did you actually maybe hit me to that spot? You know what? I think I did. I think you did. Yeah, because yeah, okay. we went there and. We had heard about it, but it was my first time trying it, and it was so mind blowing that I think I told you pretty much immediately. Yeah, it's a cool story. Go. I mean, the chef mm-hmm. is not he wasn't trained as a chef from Jank. I think he was a nurse or something like that uh, mm-hmm. for a while. And it's a it's not a fancy spot. I mean, it's, it's not quite a hole in the wall. It's a little nicer than that, but it's a it's it wouldn't consider it a four star dining room. It's mostly a takeout operation. At least when I've been there during the pandemic, but the guy somehow got nominated as best new chef Northeast School, which is like a a, a pretty baller thing. I mean, everyone else he had nominated with were like culinary yeah. school had like stock like, you know trailed in stodge like WD fifty or something and he was uh he was like a real genuine soul absolutely I, I i met the guy and talked to him for a long time because we were trying to decide what in addition to jerk chicken we should get and we ended up getting some oxtail and you know the, few, the few oxtail is actually the hidden killer really on that is, menu it's, it's fucking so good dope. it's so good dope. Um, again, I want to blow up top taste spot, but you know what? They deserve it. They they, they should make all the money in the world. I, we drove by the other day. There were some very very uh, uh, satisfied customers uh, leaving with their 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 styrofoam takeout boxes and going to the little park there to eat it. It's just uh, yeah. I don't think you need to worry about about blowing about blowing no, them up. I mean, no. I think they need to be blown up. It's mostly a, you know takeout spot. It's not like you're gonna have trouble getting a resi there. Um, speaking of, you mentioned Alexander Shulin once again. He was featured in yet another New York Times article as a. a does the guy have a publicist or something? Yeah, like, I mean, not one that he pays. Shout out, Caitlin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> seems like a good selection. Let me uh, let me pull this up. So this is uh, this is uh, from I believe this week's uh, Sunday Times um, style section. It was the the cover uh, cover story of the style section this week. Um, it's uh, the the headline was um, this is the summer the youth own New York. I don't think they're wrong. I think that's no, true. No, that, that seems very true. And it's just talking about how all this pent up energy is in your it's something we've, you know, might have touched on once or twice in the pod before. Um, I, I think that we've discussed it might on even pod. Be, might even be the theme of the pod. Um, but just goes through <laughs> the and theme has, of the pod is, is restaurants. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Um, at re- this is a restaurant. Restaurants pod. in New York being back. Um, and it's just. <laughs> and uh, I guess art, but not really. 
Yeah, we'll get to it eventually. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a, it, I don't know. This article kind of is a little, feels a little bit like a retread, like maybe a little too easy, especially to put on the cover. I guess they're they're in between full time editors. The of photographs are great. Oh yeah, there's they don't have an editor right yeah, now. Yeah, photographs yeah. are fantastic. Stella, shout out Stella, she's coming. I guess. Um, and it's just about how you know how about the young people are taking over downtown pop up parties, dancing mm-hmm. in the streets, uh, you know, Washington Square Park uh, on fire all the time different spots in brooklyn um and of course they shoe and pipes in it's it's funny they, they actually got quotes from several people that i know have been quoted recently in the times i'm not sure if this went through like quotes that hadn't been used maybe <laughs> <laughs> that's what it felt like to me are you talking about me talking to a times reporter at my own party is that what you're referring to yeah no 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 it's just like a, the shoe i feel like they could have been outtakes from his from his uh from oh. the, the preview in, in t magazine or the times magazine the other day um, anyway, uh, check it out. It's pretty good. It, although it feels, I mean, when I say pretty good, it's actually like everything you already know, but it's, it's good to have it written out. And here it is. Alexander Shulin, 33-year-old gallerist. So maybe a little bit older than the, the target that they're talking about in this article. Yeah, uh, we're just, still kids. Just talking too. about how all the galleries moving, uh, moving into new space. In fact, my, my banker, uh, hmm. I, I had to call him to, uh, to send a wire to her. He had to call me to confirm a wire. And he was like, you know, Ben, I, there's all these, uh, uh, down, his, his bank uh, is, is down uh, on Canal Street. All these spaces are turning into galleries now. There used to be a, a bubble wow. tea shop across the street here, and now it's a little gallery. Wow! Um, even the bankers are, are, are getting even the hip bankers to, are getting hit. I, wow. I tried to see if he wanted to buy a picture too. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so you know, it's, it's and he was talking about all downtown when that's happening, and that is true. Um, Should we open a gallery? Definitely not. Uh, okay. Should we open a bar? Definitely yes. Okay. Good. Good. Um, I'm in. Yeah, I would very much like to be a part. I don't want to open a bar. I want to be a partner in a bar. I want someone who's an experienced owner-operator. I will cut them a check. Cause I, I wonder th- if there's a, you know, a, a past guest on the pod who is a former operator of I've tried. I think, I think he's trying to do something on the East Coast closer to home, something he can use more often close to his, uh, his mm-hmm. suburban estate. He's in the city every day. He yeah, has a gallery. Yeah, there. you know, I think, uh, you know, I think it's an exhausting business. Um, other things that caught my eye... Uh, in the times well speaking of great photographs though in the in the times uh magazine uh yesterday's magazine i'm not sure how it looks online they probably did a nice treatment there's this whole long article about the future of new york that is what it is i don't feel like getting into it but they selected like 10 young photographers meaning people like 16 17 18 up to like 22 23 and sent them out to do all the photos for the magazine and there were some pretty dope yeah, shots i in love there those as those well great. yeah yeah it was really really nice um, you know, not to sound like we're fucking like the daily or something is going through everything they have. One thing uh, on the negative that caught me, Nate, did you know what the price of lobster rolls is in kind of like down East Maine right now? Like no. Maine vacation land as it's called. They're charging $30 for a lobster roll. Wow, the $30 sandwich. It exists. Yeah, and like all these little shops, and it has to do with like obviously supply and demand, inflation, uh, and the fact that this is the time of year where there's actually not that many lobster caught. It's later in the summer right. uh, after the molt, I believe. Um, but so people are paying crazy prices. Listen, a little word of advice. Go to the same place. Instead, get the fried clams. They're actually going to be better than mm-hmm. the lobster roll. Buy yourself your own lobster. Boil it up. Like a lobster roll is like not that interesting as a sandwich. Frankly, it's just some lobster meat with butter. People like it because they're too fucking lazy to crack their own bugs. Okay, so as a fan of cracking the bugs and sandwiches, I would like to say that the lobster roll is actually maybe an underrated sandwich if you do it right. What? If you do it right, and by that I mean you boil the lobster yourself, you know, or you know. If you're a little bit lazy, you can buy some lobster salad or something, you know, or just just buy the the lobster meat and then make the salad yourself. It's super easy. That's some rich people talking. How much fucking shelled lobster meat is? 
yeah, it's not cheap, but like you can, it's cheaper than buying you know two sandwiches for seventy bucks. You know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Legit. But you know, I'm just saying. Get the fried clams. They're really I good. I love fried clams also. People don't yeah. get it. People don't know about them. And the full mm-hmm. belly clams. On these fucking clam strips, you get the full belly oh, clam, yeah. um, uh, greasy summertime goodness. God, I'm hungry for seafood. Uh, let's move on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, this was kind of a sad story, but an interesting story about New York. Fascinating story. Uh, that actually. popped up in a bunch of different outlets is that the, um, the artist Dorothea uh, Rockburn, uh, a, a senior senior artist, um, uh, really well-established um has a great loft that she bought, you know, back in the seventies, um, uh, and has been been there forever. And obviously, as in most of Soho, the people around her have changed. Um, and in particular, in this case, this guy uh, who bought the condo above hers, Dick Costello, Dick Costello, former CEO of Twitter, um, you know, uh, a, a perpetually underperforming stock, but a really oh, fun, yeah, very really fun thing to use. And this guy, I think, he didn't do that well as the CEO. Of yeah, which you know, next to the guy who who runs it now, who's like uses it a part time job because Jack Dorsey most of his time is where he makes his money on Square. But anyway, getting getting <laughs> off track, um, uh, he was renovating the apartment above, and someone used a guest bathroom and didn't turn off the faucet correctly, or the work was shoddy, and all all this water poured out of the apartment directly above Dorothy Rockburn's and basically inundated her her archives, her storage of her mm-hmm. work um, with water, causing like, millions of dollars of damage. And and from what the, the article uh, infers, Dick Costello could have stopped this leak sooner but wanted to use a cheaper plumber. Yeah, he was too cheap to like just let whoever the building exactly. was going to select go in there and turn off the fucking water. And like, you know, obviously I'm going to villainize the fucking tech bro who bought the Soho penthouse rather than the artist who's been there forever. But like what a fucking like lame ass move. Like 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 this guy knows that his leak is destroying an artist's like life. He probably work. had no idea or any concern or like, you know, yeah, no I'm desire sure he wouldn't to give know. a fuck either way. Yes. Like he would be like, What fucking artist? I don't care. Like these these guys are like just like fucking snakes, you know? Yeah. They don't like like we've talked about like, you know, trying to sell work to people in Silicon Valley. You know, they don't give a fuck about contemporary art. No, they want to buy like cars and fucking hoodie yeah. sweatshirts. Like, um, yeah, like so bad enough that he wouldn't like allow uh, just a you know any old plumber just to get in there and turn it off. I mean, and also this woman's you know in her nineties or late eighties or nineties, I forget mm-hmm. exactly which. You know, a lot of it was you know she, it was on a Monday. She didn't have an assistant. She couldn't get a- she could have moved some of the stuff, but she couldn't get right. access. She was just too old to get up on a ladder to exactly. move it. And we're not talking just like work that she's re- working on right now. We're talking about stuff from from the seventies and sixties, like some of her most seminal pieces. We're talking about an artist that's, you know, she's in, you know, in all the museums, really. You know, it was in a big group show at the Met Broyer, um, has been in recently in group shows like Blum and Poe and and other important galleries. Um, And uh, and so a bunch of this stuff got ruined almost beyond repair. So she's identified a certain number of works that are that are ruined and a certain number that can be repaired. Now, anytime you're conserving a work, no matter how it's gotten damaged, time is I wouldn't say of the essence, but it's important to, to start the remediation work as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy, Dick, uh, is being a dick and won't won't write a check to cover the, the, the massive, you know, it's, it's a, you know, it's several hundred thousand dollars at yeah. least to get this stuff fixed. I mean, Dick, fixed. our lawyers did not vet anything we said, so if you want to personally respond to us, you're welcome to come on the pod. All the personal pod, opinion. Yeah. Pod at any time to uh, defend your <laughs> seemingly well, indefensible shit. It seems like he's already in court because uh, Dorothea has, has had to file suit in New York State Supreme Court in order to, to get a check cut to her. Um, we'll Damn. see how that plays out. But it's also just, uh, you know, it's the age-old story of new real estate in New York um, changing spaces, you know, and, and money and, and changing, of changing and, audiences. And, 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 and yeah, that, that's a story as old as time. 
Um, and but one that's kind of continuing to kind of unfold and and be renewed in this kind of post pandemic you know era mm-hmm. as we see kind of artists some artists moving back into some maybe not lofts in Soho but 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 places more on the island of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Um, other quick hits around the art world. There wasn't any huge huge news, but uh, Cecilia Alamani uh, released uh, the title of her delayed uh, Venice Biennale, um, uh, which is a pretty cool title I think. And Cecilia is a very interesting. Uh, curator she's mm-hmm. obviously the curator of the highline um and the title of the venice biennale opening around this time next year will be the milk of dreams which is uh the title of uh, it was a phrase in a book by the surrealist artist leonora carrigan mm-hmm. um you know listen chichilli is like great if anyone she's wonderful if anyone remembers though i was thinking back about venice and her she did that great uh italian pavilion I maybe a couple iterations that was like super trippy like really roberto Quaggi. yeah roberto Quaggi, like an incredible so installation I, I i interviewed her uh for that actually and it was one of my favorite things i wrote that week in venice it was just like such a pleasure to talk to her because she's just so intelligent but also warm friendly and accessible in a way that that, that a lot of curators at her level just just aren't you know yeah i'm really i wish they had i wish i was excited when i saw all these articles i was hoping that it included a list of artists to be included right. it's a little it early did for not. that though i know I mean, especially with the pandemic she hasn't been able to travel no, and it's do usually the visits. like nine months out yeah. right maybe awesome. i just you know eight, I, I i gotta go back and look but it's 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 a little early to get the full artist now list. i have of course heard a couple of names that have been included drop them dealers i'm not gonna drop them damn wow <laughs> dealers love to brag Pe- about people artists are paying to listen to us oh wait no they're not <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> listen if you want to come and pay me a quarterly retainer you'll certainly be the first to know before anyone else who's gonna be, who's gonna be in there so that we can we can perhaps uh, yeah. make some acquisitions this is a free show you don't get fucking names of artists in the biennale um i don't know i'm my uh uh uh, Megan, uh, who works for me, uh, works with Shout me. Out Megan, uh, as well as being a great gallery director, is there in Venice now. Uh, That's true. She was in Milan. She was. She was in Milan because yeah. uh, her her uh, a friend of hers, Patrick Bailey, who's a painter, had his first European show in Milan. Yeah, that, that I am in that show. You are. There is a painting, painting of Nate of Freeman me. in that show. Yeah. How did I? How did I fucking like <laughs> drop? Talk, talk about burying the lead. My God. <laughs> yeah, I sat for Patrick last summer, and it was so fun. Um, but it looks like they decided to take a little a little side trip to Venice. It's not, not that bad a train ride based on their grams and I was just like I was wistfully looking at these pictures of, of Venice I know. Uh, one of my favorite places and we'll be there you know what 10 months from now 10, nine, months. 10 11 you, months I mean you have a birthday coming up two years ago on your birthday guess where we were Venice baby at, at the Bower at the Bower you bought me a very nice drink at the Bower I did I was, yeah. I was, I was hanging out with some clients and uh, they had just fe- they had fed me with a very nice birthday dinner a mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah, floating birthday dinner and uh, and then we came uh, and, <laughs> <laughs> and, and then Nate was nice enough to buy me a drink he's cracking up over here listen uh, it is what it is. Floating birthday dinner. Anyway, so that's basically... Um, other thing caught my eye, because, you know, <laughs> thank God there's another digital art fair next week, Nate. Thank... I've been I've been just, just the about people, thanking my lucky stars. The people were crying out for another virtual experience. Honestly, I don't even know what the fuck you're talking about. What digital art fair is it? Uh, I, it's, I, it's Basel Basel digital <laughs> version. <laughs> oh, that one. Okay, sorry. I'm just like completely like bought this out of my mind you know how like on twitter you can like block certain phrases my <laughs> mind has done that for for uh, online you, you bought ovr like, and nft yeah. <laughs> yeah it's just like it does not enter my brain anymore well you know i feel the exact same way although there is an interesting article and in, i read it so, at some point last week in the ft from our friend friend of the pod and uh and america's director of our basel noah horowitz um who was an early proponent of digital affairs he was the director of, of the vip art for like who could 20, forget 20 11 something like that um 
you know, about a decade ago, which was a, an idea very much before its time. It was an all online mm-hmm. art fair. Unfortunately, the technology wasn't there and it crashed, it crashed. at the opening. My colleague at the time, oh. Michael Miller, was covering it and he left to go buy a burrito in the middle because there's <laughs> nothing to write about. Listen, any art fair you can have a burrito at sounds like a great <laughs> art fair to me. Especially if it's in your bed. <laughs> um, and uh, and Noah comes out, and I would, I'm not sure if this would be considered uh, really an op-ed because he didn't write it, but he just uh, speaks about how well, that was too early, and the pandemic has shown that they not out are now possible. And he's saying that they are not going to go away. It'll always be a component of, of all art fairs, and I guess specifically he's well, talking about the Basel fairs. Well, look, our, our guest on the pod today, Scott Lorinsky, is a really great collector. And mm-hmm. for collectors like that, you know, these things are great because they can just go in, and they already kind of know what they want, and they can see what's available, and, like, it's all very easy and accessible. They don't have to travel, and then they can buy it for a reporter like me, there's just nothing for me to write about. Like, like the entire experience of an art fair is in-person interaction. And after a year and change of, of attempting to write about these online things, it's just, uh, that's not why I got into the game. That's not what I write about. That's not what I do. And it's just, you know, there are other reporters who have managed to write about this with some degree of, of, of you know, well, because there's a bit more interest. data available, right? You don't have to ask people prices necessarily. Or sometimes you do, but you can see what's available. So there's a certain way yeah, you can do a journalistic I, sure. market report. And I, right? and I have done that, but it's just not quite the same as you know reporting on something like Freeze. Like like when when Freeze was in New York a month ago, like I was so excited to to write about that everything that was going on, the the in person interactions. Even though of course the masks were on. Um, and uh, frankly, there were other reporters, not colleagues of mine, of course, who who uh, were not there um, and because they just were not comfortable, uh, you know, being in a room with other people. Completely understandable, but also because they prefer to write about the online experience, which is just not what I like to do. That's so dorky. Um, I mean, my position, Scott, you know, obviously, who's about to come on right now as our guest and our first uh, collector guest, I mean, but he's like a very experienced collector. You right. know, over 20 years of experience, he knows mm-hmm. what he's looking at, what he's looking for. So while it may appear to someone like him, he can really dive down dig as someone who works for some people that are that are also, you know, at that level, but also kind of newer collectors or collectors that are more, you know, um, you know, it's not their main passion. It's one of many passions. Mm-hmm. It's really beginning to not appeal to them um, because, of the, because of how they navigate it. And they're still buying, but they're buying because I go through beforehand, get the PDFs, a right. form of visual digital mm-hmm. technology I really like, uh, cutting them off and sending them on. So I agree that they probably are here to stay because it means if, you were n- if you're going to miss a fair, you can still kind of have access to it. Yeah. Um, but that's always been the case with the previews or the past you know, few years exactly. where previews are so for collectors. You've gone and, through and, them and if you have... Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, so that you didn't really always need to be there for what you're saying. It's for the, it's for the it's for the human, the as they yeah. say, as they say in the intelligence world, the human intelligence, mm-hmm. the talking to people, you know, getting to see what other people are looking at and buying, and that kind of that network. As, as Scott is, a, is about talking, I think so right. touchingly and eloquently about it's about this kind of this community, and you're missing that for right. me at least community aspect. Totally. That being said, Noah is a genius, and I'm sure that everything he says in the story is right. So you <laughs> I'm know, he, probably wrong. He's like, w- way smarter than me. Yeah. I mean, don't don't, don't, don't talk to our dumbass. Don't listen don't listen to me. Noah like, is way Noah. smarter than me. And and so everything he says in this article, which Go, I subscribe to the read, FT and read it, uh, is is probably right. Uh, but on that note, maybe we should. Uh, yeah, speaking get, speaking of people know, that are smarter than either of let's us, talk let's talk to Scott, uh, Scott, Scott Lorenzi. Stay tuned. Coming up right after this. Welcome back. We are joined today by contemporary art collector Scott Lorenzi. Scott, it is so good to have you here. What's going on, my guy? Thank you, gentlemen. In the lab. Thrilled to be here in the HQ. It looked looking good. 
yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little sweaty in here as it always is. And uh, I know that the all the technology is, is very imposing. It's Im- it's impressive. This yeah. is this is a real podcast. Yeah, I mean the content's not great, but we bought a lot of stuff. The sound quality is not great either because I haven't learned how to use any of it. But we have it. Uh, I think the sound quality is pretty good if we're all in the the HQ at the same time. That's well, true. Last night, uh, last week we did it remotely, and it was it was fun. But it's it's good to have the whole gang together. Anyway, Here. Scott, I know you were. Uh, we'll get into your background, your history, and all that fun stuff. But I noticed you were just down in Philadelphia. Nate and I were in Philadelphia in November together. We were down there winning an election, right? We were winning. Oh, that's an election. right. Yeah, yeah. Huh. You, you mean stealing an election? Oh, right. Well, <laughs> depends on your perspective. Whatever. We won. The, win- the winners write the history books, right? Oh, that's correct. That is true. So Philadelphia, I was surprised pleasantly. Um, mm-hmm. The hotel was a dump. <laughs> it wasn't a dump. It was not. It was. It was that same thing you were complaining about last week, where they they just thought housekeeping was now optional because of COVID, which is mm-hmm. which is unfortunate that hotels are taking that perspective. But um, the museum's superb. We went to where we go. So went to the barns. Amazing. Uh, amazing. I hadn't been there since it moved from Marion, um, so I was very happy with that takeover. Spectacular. It, it, I went a few years ago. It's just incredible. It, it is, it is. And it was, uh, you know, it was lively. I mean, it wasn't lively in the sense that I was actually somewhat young in there, but it was, it was packed, which was, which was nice. And uh, yeah, good for it, old man it's a Barnes. Good muse- it's mm-hmm. a good museum town. It's a good walking town, as I recall. It's a great walking town. It's not, it maybe is a great food town. I didn't really discover all the charms. I did go to one of those cheesesteak places. I saw on your Instagram. And, uh, you know, I went to Pat's, but took the photo at Gino's. I, 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 I am not, I, I am a street food guy, and I would, I never need to eat uh, a cheesesteak again. Mm-hmm. I probably I will, s- but I don't need to. I have to say, we had the opposite situation, well, in that we happened into, uh, uh, we're, we're driving down, we've been driven for whatever, two and a half, mm-hmm. three hours to go to Philadelphia. Uh, we have some time before we have to go to this place where they're going to teach us how to canvas, uh, for which candidate I won't say. Um, <laughs> and uh, and we did a little yelping, a little googling. It's like, oh, this is like the outskirts of this is not this is like the outskirts of, of Philadelphia, um, like super working class, lots of warehouses, light industry, and it's like one of the iconic spots is there, but not like not one of the main two. We rolled in. I hadn't eaten anything. I think it was it was that I hadn't eaten anything that day i don't think i even ate dinner the night before and we were starving and we had very low expectations for this sort of shack uh off the highway it was like next to a union themed bar right right which i mean it's going to be a good like some sort of good heavy food if it's next to like you know teamsters local 27 (laughs) and and we and i enjoyed that cheesesteak and it it provided the fuel to go steal an election you know agree so it met your expectations but did it exceed your expectations I had no expectations, so yes. Mm-hmm. I was like, I and mean, I'm not really like a big greasy, like I like street food, but that's like a big heavy thing. I inhaled it. It was good. Anyway. But at the same time, I know the the feeling of going to Pat's or Gino's or one of the famous places and getting a cheesesteak and then, then being like, well, that was okay. Yeah. That was fine. You know, I know that feeling. I've had it before. Was that your first like post-COVID travel or have you been on the road? I've been a little bit on the road. I was in Santa Fe a few weeks ago. Which surprisingly I loved. Uh, Santa Fe, Taos, New Mexico had never been. Uh, also, a great place to do very little. Look at the landscape. Um, food was much better. Did a lot of hiking, which is not my natural. Wouldn't have guessed you know, that is one of your like, top three hobbies. I, I mean, uh, looking around the room, um, I don't really see much sportsmen here. But um, I mean, I, I'm going to a sports game tonight. 
Though it's it's mostly going to be drinking and eating hot dogs and whatnot. I'm gonna I'm gonna text you first thing tomorrow morning and ask what the score was. <laughs> <laughs> the score was was six beers and one hot dog. <laughs> You're gonna have more than one hot dog, bro. Um, so New Mexico, uh, beautiful, great, you know, uh, turquoise and silver, as we said before. Um, Anyway, we're back. I wanted to have you on because I don't know you very well, but I know you in a digital form as we all do in this kind of weird, kind of tangential way, um, even pre-COVID of like, I see all the things you're looking at and what you're doing, but I also bump into you in a lot of the same places art-wise, I would say. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, mm-hmm. I think I, I love covering the ground, right? Whether Absolutely. it's traipsing and trolling throughout uh, downtown, and it is sort of a nice community we have. Um, but what you see is really, you know, only part of the collection. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, well, let's. I mean, let's start up to the be- uh, go back to the beginning. Like, when did you grow up as a collector of things? Maybe not art, but like, did, did you have like a? I'm guessing not a big sports card collection, I, I, but yeah. something like that. <laughs> I mean, you you can say that it, it, I did, right? I did have stuff and crap and collections uh-huh. and just sort of accumulations. And I do think, you know, I do think that Dr. Barnes made me feel a little better about just being incredibly obsessive and mm-hmm. just sort of you know over the top in terms of buying shit that i don't need um but yeah i think i, I did not have i did not come from a, you know the salvador mundi did not pass through pass through your family pass that, through my actually. family i know that <laughs> did you grow up in new york Shout out Rob. Shout out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I grew up in the suburbs in the and suburbs. it was uh yeah it was a boring torturous existence yeah. and then i you know and then i left the suburbs Oddly enough, or not, or maybe coincidental, or probably this is the only reason why I'm here, I went to Duke University as an undergrad. Woohoo! Another blue devil. That's right. We'd love to see it, Scott. Yeah. We'd love to see it. Were you also like Nate Freeman on the men's varsity lacrosse team? <laughs> Don't slander me like that. I, I, w- <laughs> I, I wish. I wish. Um, I was not. Um, and I did, I did. But that's sort of where I kindled my love for art. I took a lot of... Mm-hmm art history classes um, and had never taken any in the crappy public school I went to. Was the Nasher there at the time? It was, it was called something else, right? It was, yeah, it was the East Gallery. It wasn't really the Nasher mm-hmm. from way back when in the Dark Ages and it was sort of on East Campus and it was right. just a building and, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, took a bunch of classes with Cecile Whiting who was, I think, a visiting mm-hmm. pro- uh, assistant professor over there. It was just great. Mm-hmm. Um, Amazing. That's pretty cool. I still have never been to Duke. I feel like you're going to have to take me down, Nate, on a, on a little trek at some point in time. Maybe at some point, yeah. At some point. Probably yeah. not going to happen this summer, I'm afraid, yeah. my friend. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, uh, so you're down there. You're undergraduate. Like, you're taking art history classes. But and, not- and working at a restaurant. Working at several restaurants. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Wait, as, a, as a front of house server? Well, or? yes. As a server and as a host. Mm-hmm. At some of the finest restaurants that Durham, North Carolina had in, what, what in the restaurants? late 80s. Are, they, are any of them still there? I, I don't think. There was Crook's Corner. There Crook's was, Corner just closed, actually. There was another time, which was... Mm-hmm. Um, an interesting restaurant. I've heard of another time. Crook's Corner, in, they just announced their closure like two weeks ago. Very sad. That is sad. Yeah. That's it was sad. A, a really important uh, a restaurant in terms of just like this sort of New South movement. Right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, where, where instead of just like focusing on just sort of like old world cuisine, it was like, you know, low country North Carolina food elevated to, to you know, high cuisine. It won a lot of James Beard awards, I believe. That's right. Yeah. Uh, it's like shrimp and grits, that sort of thing. Yeah, but yeah. like real good. 
Okay. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I get yeah, it. Like, yeah. you know, artisanal grains, that kind of right, thing. Right, artisanal yeah. grains. All that shit. It's so good. And, uh, uh, and it's an important part. It's an important part of American food history, mostly especially because it was. Uh, if anyone's watching the uh, the the documentary, its name's escaping me. That a lot of it was was flavor profiles and even ingredients that came over in the transatlantic slave trade, uh, and then were kind of kept alive by by slaves and then free free, free blacks in the south. But that's not, that's not the topic of this podcast. No, no. no sorry. Uh, right. sorry. We this always is, get this into. Is, this. Sorry. This is the Real Housewives recap <laughs> podcast, right? That's <laughs> Yeah, right. Really, the only thing I have any expertise about. Well, only if it's only if it's Atlanta. I can't, I can't comment on any of the other ones. <laughs> I watched the Potomac one. I bet you did. Um, all right, keeping it on track. You're, you're at Duke. Uh, you decide like many young people. After did you work before you went to graduate school? Did you have? Like, I, a, I didn't. I well, I did. I graduated early and I took six months off and just stayed in stayed in beautiful Durham, North Carolina, and pursued my career as a waiter until I came, <laughs> uh, came up here. You worked hard to graduate a semester early, yeah. and that's what you did. But no, back in the day, this was 100 years ago, you just took AP classes, and they just sort of gave you credit. Gave you extra credit. Oh, I, I, I had to use those AP credits just to graduate in four years. <laughs> yeah. There's no advance. They, they saved me from the five-year plan. Right, same um, here. I still did like four and a half, though. Oh, I didn't so, know that about you. So, um, so, but you then went, as, as many very, very intelligent, very very bright people have no idea what they want to do with their lives. You went to law school, I yeah, believe, or graduate terrible, school. Terrible mistake. I went to law school. I went to Columbia Law School, which is, which mm-hmm. is, you know, it was great because I, I had, I went to Duke and I had, a, I thought that's what a school was like. And then I went to Columbia and I learned what a horrific institutional bureaucracy, poorly run, um, and, and sort of where everyone is dis- <laughs> disaffected is, is actually like, <laughs> which has been, you know, a good experience as, you know, as I've, you know, become more involved with museums mm-hmm. <laughs> totally totally but i mean it did get you it did get you to new york city which is different from the suburbs where you grew up it, it is uh, and i'm it sure is. it provided all sorts of entertainment as well as food options but also art were you like so did you go to museums as, as a as a I, student at that point in your life you, you know as a student and and this sounds i, I did i was so lazy i i know i watched a lot of regis and kathy lee at the time mm-hmm. uh while I was in law school, and I didn't really do anything. I, I, I did, I mean, also, we didn't have real grades. We had, like, good, very good, or excellent, and then if you were just didn't never show up, you could fail. And we didn't really have a GPA, and it was sort of like, okay, if you graduate, you're going to you're, you're get a job. And yeah, this if was, you, if you, you got know, in, you're going to... If you got in, you're going to get a job. And, I, you know, I, you know I, I think laziness is sometimes overrated. Um, but but it wasn't right. I mean, it was just sort of like okay, yeah, I can do minimum. I'm like oh, I could pass the bar, and I could study for the bar for three weeks, and pass the bar. So it's not like I spent all this time pursuing my other interests. I mean, were you, were you going out and enjoying the evening I, life? I, I wasn't or? really whoring around that much. It was sort of you know, it was fine, but it was just sort of yeah, it was almost still living a bit of a suburban existence. And so it was only when I started working and the money started coming in, that's when, you know. That's when it was. That's when the magic No, when the magic happened. <laughs> that's right. Then you realize, oh, you actually can go out seven nights a week. <laughs> well, some of us grow into that, and money certainly helps. Yeah. Um, so uh, we, we, won't, we won't reference this with years, but you graduate law school, you go work, I presume, some sort of law firm, whatever. Not, not so interesting to the, the public. But you have some money. You're going out. You're eating out very well. You're probably mm-hmm. working your ass off, um, yeah. but like, there's nothing else to spend money on other than clubs. And then, 
when do you kind of begin to get the bug of like, oh, art's cool, as opposed to art's something foreign? I think you, like me, you didn't grow up in an art-collecting family, so the notion that you could go and buy art and live with it, like, when did that realization, or how did that realization happen for you? Yeah, I think that sort of happened in around 94, 95. I started going to galleries at that time in Soho and realizing, oh, wait, you have your own money because you're working, and you can buy this. And that was sort of, right, that was, I, I mean, it sounds obvious, but that was a disconnect I never had, right? You went to art, totally. you saw art museums or other presentations, but the fact that you could actually go to galleries and ask and, and then actually purchase it and afford to purchase it was, was new. Yeah, I mean, especially in that period in the art world where the market had very much crashed in the early 90s or so. Um, and they probably were very happy to have a conversation with you. I don't know if anyone's actually ever happy to have a conversation with me. It, <laughs> it usually starts out okay, and then it gets either awkward or sort of, you know, uncomfortable for everyone. But they weren't unhappy. They weren't unhappy to initiate it. Well, I mean, they were happy to get a wire transfer exactly, or a check. They were happy. Yeah, back in the day, it was it was check, and and you know they're happy to eventually get a check. Let's just say, <laughs> you know, not not was not always the fastest payer in the land. Net thirty is a suggested <laughs> suggested. Net thirty is 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 yeah aspirational. <laughs> Um, do you remember what were some of the first galleries that you actually like bought work from? Do you remember? Yeah, I do, I do remember the first work that I bought. Yeah, what was the first work? The first work. The first work is actually a good work. It, um, rarely does that happen. Um, but it was uh, Catherine Opie's 1995 portrait of Ron Athey. Amazing, wow. amazing, sort of amazing photograph. photograph. Yeah, the, the 60 by 30 image with the green background that's just sort of... You know, wow. now somewhat iconic, but I think when I walked into that gallery, um, they were surprised, and it was maybe $3,000, which, mm. yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, and that's like probably her most or second most famous image that I think she ever created. I do too. love the, that early series, and I have oh. several of them, of the, um, you know, the performers and sort of elevating them into, you know, Renaissance-type backgrounds and just... Ron really? was an old buddy of mine when I lived in Los Angeles. I, I used to like help out on performances and like uh, he was like I a didn't creative catalyst. Yeah. Yeah. Ron and this woman Vaginal Cream Davis. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And they were kind of mommy and daddy of a certain kind of queer adjacent or queer art scene that was happening in LA that was very, very separate from the actual blue chip thing that was happening there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my problem with Ron is that I've had Ron, I had Ron, Vaginal Davis and Divinity Fudge together hanging in, in, in an apartment for a very long time. So I felt I felt actually that we were friends, right? That I know him, um, but but I actually I don't. I've met him a few times. I actually saw a performance that he did maybe uh, in the late '90s at um, at the Lore, which was which was a big gay bar, big gay leather bar back mm -hmm. back back in the day. Um, but I don't know him. But the the exhibition that was just a participant, which is going to the ICA, I think in LA. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Is is great. An important figure. Yeah, super just important figure, like as much subcultural as is art and like a great, interesting life story. Um, so when did you go from like, oh, I'm buying a few things. Oh, this is nice. I can buy it. I like this. I can put it on my wall. I have like interesting things in your wall. So like, when was the first time you're like, oh, no, I'm going to buy this, even though I don't know where it's going to go or I don't have space for it? Yeah, I don't remember. I mean, that day is a day that I should go back and, and, and sort of relive that day. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't remember when it became oh, there are these storage companies that you could put all this work in storage and then you can buy installations and 20-foot sculptures and you just sort of, you know, can be as open-ended um, other than what you, you know, what, your, what you can scrape and push your budget to do. 
And so, yeah, that's sort of that's sort of a sad day. Um, but it, but it happened. It happened many moons ago. I mean, I always think it's a great day. People, you know, sometimes people always say, "Oh, I'm a real collector. I would never put something in storage. We live with everything." I was like, "No, you're a real collector when like you fucking start like having all these things in storage because you can't help the com- the compulsion to acquire and buy and add to the collection like beyond any sense if you're actually going to look at it every day." Yeah, I I don't know. I do understand the I want to buy work and I need to look at it. I I just you know the, a lot of judgment gets thrown when you when you have work in storage but you know it makes it a lot easier to put things out on loans as well um yeah we, we don't we don't traffic in any judgment here it's a judgment free zone i, I do I, i'm actually i'm actually quite judgy i'm actually quite good at it uh, I, i've heard i mean like in my ear i've heard not just heard of um that's why we, that's why we love you scott absolutely um so when did you go from, you know, so you're buying art, living with it, like kind of everything I just said, and then did you right away start getting involved in institutions, like collectors I, group, all that kind of I stuff? I did. I did. Um, back, uh, back also at the time, I think I had a friend who was involved in, you know, the, the I can't remember the name, the Young Collectors Council or something at the Guggenheim, yeah. uh, which, you know, the, at the time the Guggenheim was a leading museum um, mm-hmm. in the city. Um, <laughs> and, and then MoMA Junior Associates. And I was involved in MoMA Junior Associates, which was a exceptional group, right. uh, exceptional group for for many years, and part of the executive committee. And really met a ton of great people uh, through that. And I, I really do would advise people to to join museum groups if they can. I think they're great. I mean, I I have, was never a, a MoMA Young associate, but like I really enjoyed the Guggenheim program when I was part of it because you could actually like it was actually an acquisition committee. So you're, it's all about hmm. like the curators come explain work to you. And obviously, I'm gonna kind of privileged position that I had been a curator, but still they do a great job and then you vote on it. And if the thing you like doesn't get in, you can like pitch in like two or three grand and grab a couple other people and then buy it and then your name's always on the wall label it is always on the wall except if you do that like for example i did that a hundred years ago for a uh gordon matta clark photograph at at moma however one of the couple of people who pitched in as well uh is steve mnuchin wow so moma will never pull that out in my lifetime and put that on the wall and it's sort <laughs> no, of they will not it's a great it's a great photograph <laughs> <laughs> but wow. um yes they might loan it to some southern museum for an exhibition i, I don't actually think they will <laughs> no <laughs> um that's fine. wow that's wow um, i don't know i just like the notion of like the, you live on forever because this artwork will always have that wall label uh-huh i don't know my ego's really fucked up i'm in, th- <laughs> I'm in therapy don't worry about it <laughs> um uh, how long were you involved in the Young Associates at Mama? Oh, I have no idea. Like forever, forever, right? right? Yeah. Until yeah. until it just became embarrassing, right? Yeah, I mean, like, there are always people older than you. You're like, really? This age group is forty, um, but still, yeah. Until and then it's sort of like, okay. Um, well, they'll, they'll keep taking your check. And you're like, yeah, but I thought I was supposed to like those like the under forty group, and here I am, forty five <laughs> or under thirty five group, and it's like, wow, this is getting a little bit lecherous. Um, they're also, I mean, the Young Associates has a as a as a, a reputation of also being like a dating pool uh, for, for right, young yeah. yuppies. Yeah. It, it, I'm sure it did. Um, as a young homosexual, that was not um, not so much the same. It was also yeah, that was not my scene. Uh, what, what what kind of did, did you begin to become friendly or acquainted with curators through this? Not really. Mm, I mean, cur- <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. There's some that are for great. good or ill. No, some like Laura Hopman, just fantastic, huh? and I knew her from back in the MoMA days, mm-hmm. and, and and some right, but um, 
Uh, also, we used to take trips. So I was on a MoMA trip. Did you do those to, trips? To Mexico City. Oh. Fun. With Klaus Biesenbach. Oh, my oh, goodness. Fun. <laughs> Are any stories from that trip that you can tell, tell us on the pod? <laughs> <laughs> take that as a demure no. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Fair enough. Wait, wait for the book, everyone. Wait, wait for the autobiography. <laughs> Self-published in 2040. <laughs> um, uh, Mexico City, great, great art town. It's superb. Uh, uh, have you it been, really is. Do you go back regularly? Or? I, I need to. I'm desperate mm-hmm. to go back, and I'm going to try to go back this summer because it is one of my favorite places. It's amazing. I was just there a month and a half ago, and just ah, uh, it just you know the energy just radiates through through town. It's 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 quite remarkable. There's so many young American artists and art types down there now, like full time. It seems like um, mm-hmm. something to explore later. Yeah. So, so what other purchases, early purchases, would you consider just sort of like form formative for you, like as you were becoming a collector? Like I, this Kathy Obi photograph, obviously, is iconic and amazing. But is there anything else like in the first few years that? I, I don't know. I mean, I think I made a lot of mistakes in the first few years because really? I started out uh, with photography, and then I sort of, you know, I started out. Um, you know, this was the mid nineties and it was sort of, you know, that was, uh, I don't want to say it was the first wave, but it was a big wave of identity politics mm-hmm. and identity art. And it was sort of like, okay, let's maybe, you know, focus on, uh, gay and lesbian artists at that time. That was really, mm-hmm. um, what, what we, what we called was, um, that was the terminology we used. Um, and then it just got very boring to me. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of photography got boring, and a lot of, you know, I just realized I actually did not care about the sexuality uh, of who mm-hmm. was making the work necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, did you start with photography because it appealed to you, or is it a price point thing? I know, and a lot of collectors kind of begin there. Yeah, I think it was a price point thing, but it's also accessible. I mean, I, I still to this day watch more television than I would ever admit to. And it's <laughs> just sort of the idea of images and. You know, I couldn't tell you the last time I read a book, but I, I look at images all day and I've had, you know, for decades. Mm-hmm. You know, because I've always thought that's part of it. It's a price point thing, but yeah, it's also images are so ingrained yeah. in who we are, advertising images, and right. especially those of us who grew up in the in the, in the the 80s and 90s, like kind of like pre-digital, uh, I guess, like the still image is so resonant with us. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is why also sculpture is more is so important. Um, I. I, I guess also, you know, the materiality, the idea that you can actually, I mean, you shouldn't touch it, but you can. Right. I mean, <laughs> if you own it, if you I mean, own you it, can. you can touch it. Right. Sculpture. <laughs> um, and so what did you move on to then? If you just realized that identity politics weren't really what you wanted to focus on, what was the next step? I, I wish I, I wish I could recall what the next step was. I mm-hmm. mean, I think I, you know, eventually started, you know, moved into painting and became mm-hmm. a huge, uh, a huge collector, well, a significant supporter of Richard Aldrich and his work, uh-huh. one of my favorite painters, um, and that sort of eased me into painting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you're if you're friendly with Laura Hauptman at that time, I mean, although she was the drawing security, I mean, she's like a painting, like, that's her. Yeah, let's say friend, friendly is probably an over. let's not do an oversell here. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. If you're speaking with her about yeah. art on occasion... You know her her passion for painting is uh, is un- unparalleled. I mean, she's someone that I, I came in to the world of art thinking that painting was like so retrograde and so like you know so not interesting. And and she's someone that forced me to to, to open my young eyes and tell me that I was being a dumbass and like actually mm-hmm. look. Well, the good thing is you can be a dumbass and also have that view on what most of the painting that's being made today. Yeah, <laughs> true story. <laughs> um, <laughs> Do you have any idea how many artworks you own? 
I, I really don't. I uh-huh. mean, I have I have spreadsheets that are just not you know, seven fifty eight hundred ish. Wow, spreadsheet. Do you, you don't do the database thing that so many I, people I are into? I, I don't do the database thing because then then you need actually information to populate the database and just like sit down and do it and or, actually, or hire, or hire someone to kid. do it. Yes. Um, it's important for insurance. Mm-hmm. Yes, they, they tell me I don't have a database for my personal one. I set them up for all my clients. Like, I mean, I do have. Also, a, I do have a. I just haven't actually, you know, sat down. I mean, they're all kind of imperfect solutions, is the thing. You no. just want to like mm-hmm. think it and then be done, and like that, that would be like the ultimate thing, or or not think about it. Well, yeah, but I mean, just think it. Think, oh, that would be great if it was all in there, and then it's there the next moment. Um, what's exciting to you today? Yeah, you you cover a lot of grounds. Yeah, I mean, you you know, I see. A, pre-pandemic i saw you out and about seeing a lot of things like seeing as much maybe more work than i do like it, you don't have to use artist names but like what sort of things turn you on do you remember the last time like an artwork really like really turned you on intellectually spiritually whatever sexually yes yes i, I love video now for wow. some reason which is which is impo- right it's impossible to collect right mm-hmm. because it's just what what are you doing why are you why are you buying film and video i love it wow i absolutely love it um, amazing you know, by, by, by many people, right? And I think there's great art being made. Um, so some of the things that have really excited me are some of Tourmaline's films mm-hmm. uh, that she's made. I think uh, Carolyn Lazard's work mm-hmm. is yep. just exceptionally, exceptional work. Um, I was looking yesterday while in Philadelphia at um, Elliot Jamal Robbins, who was showing at mm. Kai Matsumiya. Yep. Don't know it. I'll admit um, to it. Don't know. Oh no, uh, kind the great gallery and Larry Tide. I know the gallery, yeah. but I don't know the artist. I'll have to look it up. Oh yeah, I don't and, know everything. I'm and, not present. So I guess we're, I guess we're sort of going full circle, right? To mm-hmm. to, you know, back, just, to back to yeah, images, back right? to images. Well, back I mean, images. Do you, so you you are actively buying uh, time based media. I know. I hate that. I hate that expression. It's a it, it is. It's a it's a video. It's a film. Um, I mean, yes. <laughs> I am buying time-based media um, in all its forms. Do you, uh, you? I'm jumping all over the place, but I'm just saying because that's something that's like virtually impossible to live with. I mean, you can put like a screen up, um, you know, do it. Do you actively? And you, you mentioned that you've gifted work in the past, including one that will never be shown. Do, do you actively gift work to institutions? Like, is that part of like your like? Does that interest you? It does interest me. Um, and I have in the past couple of years, I've given, you know, seven Tillman's photographs and some other works to, to an institution. And it, it's sort of fine. I mean, I think there's some institutions um, that receive works with 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 grace and maybe sometimes less so. I, I think the Whitney does a fantastic job of how they receive gifts and how they how they publicize the gift to benefit the artist um, and sort of, you know, put it out there and put it out publicly and have it on their on their website, um, so that it's accessible, um, which is which is the whole purpose why we you know why we give works. We don't give works. People say we give works for the tax deduct. It's not really for that. It's so that we you know part of the care of the work is to make sure it's actually being shown and accessible and appreciated. Yeah, and can and can be studied and put in context. Be, you know, when you you know. Not to get overly dorky, but you know, when you think about a museum collection, you think about like what was important and what is important and what is important enough to be in that canon. And also, but how are they telling the story and right. what kind of highlights do they pick to tell that story? Because they can't have everything. Um, and I think that's you know beneficial to the artists, obviously, but also to the institution. Right. Um, are you still involved like in any kind of museum council or that stuff other than obviously generously gifting things? Uh, no. Well, I'm on the um, board of uh, CCS Bard. 
That's right. Um, which is a uh, yeah, which has a museum and is also a uh, graduate program. Graduate program in your favorite thing, curatorial studies. Curatorial yeah. studies. Isn't that sort of what you named your business, or is it something else? It is. You know, I, 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 curatorial <laughs> services. And boom, I could, boom, bam. Because I never went to school for curating. Because I think it's ultimately something that can't be taught. But you know, not to denigrate your main. Uh, have you been up to the hassle recently? I have been up to the, uh, sorry, I'm trying, yes, I have, I saw the graduate uh, mm-hmm. thesis shows, which, yeah. were, which were phenomenal. I, I, I saw them too, and I thought they were fantastic. Um, I went uh, maybe four or five weeks ago with, with James Schaefer um, and a few other people. We ran into Miguel Abreu there, which is great. Great. You know, Miguel just like, yep. just taking in the, does, does the hassle. He, does he have a country place up there? I, I'm not sure. Uh, I declined I, <laughs> to ask. James had rented a blue Ford Mustang convertible, and uh, that's seemingly on brand. Actually, yeah. <laughs> he was a little embarrassed. He, by he, it. he is that's a, being embarrassed <laughs> by it and also renting it <laughs> yeah. is absolutely on brand. A hundred percent. Shout out, James. <laughs> um, um, they, the, but, but but he was particularly interested in seeing work by an, an artist named Rose Solane. Yes, um, yes, and, and who I was unfamiliar with, and I saw. Her work and loved it. It was about the Century One Twenty One yeah. Department Store. Um, yeah, there was there were some there were some memorable highlights mm-hmm. in that show. Yeah. R.I.P. Century Twenty One. I well, that's what the work. Yeah, I, I would imagine. Um, I haven't made it up. I, they always have the, those, those great Friends West uh, sculptures. Oh yeah, they're, they're yeah. out there. My oh, kids yeah. love to climb all over those fuckers. <laughs> they take it. They take a beating and keep on ticking. You're allowed to climb on them. I guess so. Y- Children are. You're, you're not allowed to climb on them. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say you're Oops. definitely not. <laughs> Sorry, Lauren and whoever else. <laughs> I'll pay for the. You can get them repainted. I'll pay for it. <laughs> it's being pricey, bill, dude. Yeah. They also always live nights next to a pool, so you know if they want to get rid of them because my kids knocked them up, I'll take them. Oh em. God, um, it's true. I can't help it. Um, mm. Have you? Are you friends with any other collectors? Like, uh, do you have any yes, buddies? Yes and no. I do. There's some that I speak to. I, I actually like collectors. Um, I, I do like talking about art. I think collectors sometimes get a bad rap for being. Um, you know about um, about things other than the art. At the same time, I mean, most days, I would like to take you know fifty of the painting collectors and, and shoot them all in the head. I, I just think mm. yeah. it gets it get not because uh, competition. It's just it's just so irritating because they're lemmings. Because they're lemmings. Because mm-hmm. you know lately the thing that's been driving me absolutely insane are these um, you know these super smarmy um, posts where they just sort of. You know, we're so thankful for the opportunity to have this work into our collection as the custodian. Mm-hmm. We're so pleased to, you know, this junior gallerist for for introducing <laughs> us to this work. I mean, on this, uh, Scott, you may be the exception that proves the rule that fucking collectors should not be on Instagram. I was about to say. Of what's in their collection because it's almost always like super cringe, as the kids say. Mm-hmm. But you have a great Instagram. It's very. Uh, it, it's okay. I've been I, I putting. It's wonderful. I, I mean, some people hate it, which, you know, shout out to my haters. That's okay. <laughs> Which is which is fine. I actually come I, at him, come at him, haters. I, I I am a hater myself, so I I'm, I'm with you. You get it. You get I, it. I, I get it. Um, but you know, honestly, this is this is sort of the sad or the beautiful or the uh, part of it. But there was, uh, I started that Instagram after not being on social media, and I've never had a Facebook account, and I've never I'm not a tweeter. Um, but a very very low point in my personal life, and um, I needed something, right? Something to sort of 
not necessarily feel good about myself, but something to feel like I, I actually had some purpose. And so in late 2017, I started putting some works out on Instagram and I was sort of right. I've always been around. I've always been a collector and people were like, Oh wow, wait, you have this and you, and, and sort of, sort of surprised by that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, but now I, I am cautious. I'm cautious about what I put out there. Um, well, you have to be, but I mean, you, you, there's definitely, I was clicking through today on the Lorinsky collection, uh, hashtag. And like, there's a certain, I, I know it's not, it's only a small bit of what you have in the collection, but it, it tells a really complete story of, of kind of like what you're looking, not a complete story, but a story, a narrative of what you're looking at and like kind of look at the world through your eyes. It's not about representation, but there's something about, there's a real human core to everything that interests you enough to share it online anyway. Like there's a real humanity to it, which Thank I found you. really refreshing mm-hmm. and nice. Absolutely. Yeah, I always think like, what am I doing? Why am I here? Why am I in this body? What what the, what is the purpose of this? You know, this sort of miserable and joyous life. Tell me about it. Yeah. Um, and just picking up on something else you said, less less kind of weighty than that. But uh, I love collectors. Collectors are some of my favorite people in the world. I don't say that because like they're the people that pay me. Like everyone else, kind of is sort of it's their main thing in the art world I mean and like they're in it for them you go to a dinner and the dealer's trying to sell you something another dealer's trying to sell you what's in their roster you know the artists are trying to figure it out but mostly talk about themselves in a narcissistic way most collectors just really want to talk about the art that they really like and is interesting to them and also the world because they all come from different backgrounds like you know work wise have been mm-hmm. somewhat most of them somewhat successful and like they're just like the most well rounded people in that environment as opposed to the kind of autodidacts those of us that have made this our only fucking thing well, that's that's very nice. I mean, yeah. I hope I get some more dinner invitations after <laughs> after you know, and see if people will heed your advice. I mean, it's been it's been brutal. Um, you know, the lockdown, COVID, and all right. this. I used to I used to have a, a lot more meals comp than I had to learn <laughs> how to cook and prepare and order and get food in. And it's it's been it's been a struggle. I know a true story, and like just the, I mean the human thing. I mean, I like mm-hmm. I realized during lockdown that basically the people that have remained become my true close friends, uh, you know, that I haven't left behind, are all somehow in the art world, and I would see them mostly at art fairs or at art dinners. And like without that, I was like, oh, I'm supposed to pick right. up this fucking thing and call them. That's, right. that's, 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 that's <laughs> not who I am. That's not what I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we're a petty, you know, sort of messed up, somewhat mm-hmm. dysfunctional community, but we're an actual real community. Yeah, no, it's a it's a hundred percent true. I, it's a community. And it's a traveling circus of a community, and it's it's these, it's the loose bonds of people that you're connected to, the ones that aren't your best friends. But anytime you see them out at a thing, you know you can drop into a conversation. I mean, I would consider you one of these people, and you just like, oh, I can go chat with them and like have a great deep or frivolous conversation and be catty, but just like someone you feel so close to in those moments. And without that, it felt very, it felt very, you know, the the whole for me at least, the whole sitting in front of the computer and and my job becoming a video game where you just like click to buy was not why I, why I got involved. Um, did you do, did you, did, did the rate of your acquisitions of your buying after the kind of initial shock of, of things uh, last year of, of the, uh, of the pandemic, do you continue to buy at the same clip or what was it like? Yeah, they probably increased quite a bit um, because I am sitting at home and because, you know, right. We all feel like we have a role to play and my role is to be supportive and try to buy work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and also like, what else was there to do? I mean, you're just yeah. you know, staring at these things. Um, <laughs> were you were you buying on, on online fairs, or was it just sort of the same through? Just you would get sent PDFs and choose, or, or what was the sort of? It, it was a it was a combination. Mm-hmm. Um, I did buy some things online, and you know, obviously there was a ton of you know um, benefit works and things like right, that that were happening. Um, but yeah, actually, some 
some amazing stuff, some mm. fantastic stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, even, you know, Basel OVR. Yeah. Um, There's another one surprising. coming up. There's always another one coming up. <laughs> There's another one. I mean, <laughs> it's, right. it's my job to keep track of these things. It's really a bit overwhelming, uh, to be honest. Will you be... Uh, do you have any plans to travel for any fairs coming up? We have, we have one in Los Angeles coming. I, That's I right. Love, I love Los Angeles, so I will try to sneak and find Great. a way to get there. Great. I'll be there. I think you might be there, Ben. Might. Might. Yeah. Might. It's, mm-hmm. it's deep in my summer. You know, I got into this art game because it was on an academic calendar. And I'm like, fucking you to that. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, well, speaking fucking of the academic calendar, right? I mean, September, right, I could go to fairs and travel for art every day, or I could actually, you know work work or do something else so but we've all learned you can work from anywhere so well, you, you know this is true you can work from you can do the fair in the morning in, in basel go back to the hotel room bang out some <laughs> conference calls and and then back out get it log off in time for dinner at 9 p.m in basel again if you were an efficient person and not a lazy person one could mm-hmm. one could and then do the same in london and then paris and you know then dallas the the, the fairs are really going to come Fast and Furious in the fall. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to do some editing, but uh, I'll definitely make it to London and Basel. Yeah, for sure. I think that's it. And there's an art fair in New York, but I hate art fairs in New York. They're completely useless. What independent? No, independent's great. <laughs> I know. Independent is <laughs> you, great. You're just trying to get me into trouble right now. <laughs> I, I I love independent. We I, all I, love I'm independent. Actually, I'm actually happy they've moved. No, from me that too. I'm actually very building. looking forward to the Cipriani Independent. I was talking to Elizabeth D the other day, and she was gushing about the gloriousness of this building and it does look quite beautiful from the outside i've yet to see the inside or eat any of the mediocre overpriced food it's all the same you've eaten all the food before i've eaten the food before that's Um, for sure but i did i just mentioned because i said oh and you know dealers at dinners whatever but i actually do next to collectors dealers are my next favorite people in the art world i think um just because like they're so passionate we're writers Don't, well, there, there are writers in the art world? There are a couple. Bro, there I don't know how to read. What are you talking no. about? Fair, fair, fair get, a, get a TV show and we can talk. I'm working on or it. Or a podcast. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Scott, do you have, I mean, I don't want to get you into trouble with this or to, for you to play favorites, but do you have, I mean, I, I associate you in my head with a couple of dealers just because I've seen you at their events, but like uh, people like Ellie Ryan, so I think is probably the person that introduced us I, I, on I the junior side. Shout and out Stefan, Ellie Ryan. Birthday speaking, girl. It's her birthday old rich, I think definitely um, Stefania Bortolami is someone that Shout I Stefania, thought of as someone that's pod. Uh, a friend of yours or someone that you've supported the program of like any others or absolutely like, I mean I mean many right I mean Andrew Krebs I've, I've of course loved Andrew Krebs for for decades now um, we're all so old <laughs> I, I, I sadly I think I'm I'm the winner of that category tonight I, I think Maxwell Graham Essex Street is is the best gallery in the city um, yeah, mm-hmm. an incredible show Cameron Roland up right now oh yeah that is really like really intense and special um, Chapter New York JTT I mean there, there are great galleries out there Richard you Donahue get, yeah of course I, mm-hmm. I mean I guess I one of the questions is like, how, what's your relationship in general with dealers like? How do you like outside the commercial thing? Do you find that you learn from them about the work that you're interested in? Um, kind of what's the what's the relationship between? A- absolutely, uh, absolutely. I think I'm you know part of that old school where you have a relationship with dealers and then you see you know as as they introduce artists into their program either through the summer group shows or just someone they're excited about. You you can't help but you know pay attention to it. At least that's how I am. I mean I can be pretty you know. Um, 
I can be slutty too, but um, <laughs> you know, when it comes to dealers, but um, yeah, they're they're a core group that I always go back to. Yeah, I mean, you have to be a little bit slutty, or else you'll miss things and have blind spots. Well, you always miss things. Yeah. You're always mm-hmm. going to miss things, and that and that's you know, it, you can either you know feel you know kick yourself over what you missed, or you could just sort of move on. Is there anything that you did miss that you would want to admit to missing? Like any opportunities to buy something that you passed on that later. Oh. Uh, yeah, I know. I mean, there's, 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 there's many, right? And it's mm-hmm. not. It's opportunities that passed on things that you know the market then favored, and right. you know, sell for a significant amount of money at auction. And mm-hmm. so that's. Did I miss it? Yes, I did. Um, but then you'd actually have to then go take it, monetize it, and you know, raises a host of issues. Right. Of but yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we. All, I mean, I miss things every day. Right. Can't be everywhere. Can't be on everything. And also, no. just sometimes you're, you know context of things doesn't make sense to you mm-hmm, and then when you see it in a different way like oh that actually is interesting um any thoughts on the upcoming mayor's race in new york city oh god <laughs> <laughs> didn't see that one coming no, out right wow. <laughs> don't ask me that <laughs> we don't have to answer we don't have to answer i like my wiley because the strokes endorsed her all right well <laughs> is my is my go-to response i think that intelligent response is a perfect way to end this one <laughs> scott thank you so much thank scott, you you're I look, the greatest I look, thank you so much yeah for you're a great on. guest i really look forward to sitting next to you at a dinner at some point probably in the fall and getting like a little bit too tipsy and being catty about people across the room looking forward to it okay. thank right. you thanks for everything you did Bye, scott. we're out bye